This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Kia ora te Welcome to the AA Live radio show. This is the show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. It is wonderful to have you here with me this evening. I cannot believe we're at the beginning of November. Ah, unbelievable how quickly this year is going for me. I don't know how it's going for you folks, but I definitely do not want to mention how many days there are until Christmas, as I'm sure you are all aware. Frightening. Hey, for some, that might mean fun times with family, holidays and relaxing times, but for others, this time of year can be a very busy time. Uh, Lots of socialising, Pressures rising from family, end of year work, money, which can give you uh, many excuses or reasons to pick up a drink. The reason for our show is that hopefully we can help you not pick up that first drink. One of my great discoveries in AA, other than the fact that I am an alcoholic, because honestly, before I walked into the rooms of AA, I never thought I was an alcoholic. I acted like one, did everything like one, but I never thought I was an alcoholic. Anyway, that's by the by. One of the great discoveries I've had in AA is that if I feel the pressures of life and I think a drink looks shiny like a diamond, uh, it's not the solution I discover. I know that I have several tools that I've learned through the AA program of recovery that I use. I go to a meeting, I listen to the show on the podcast even, I can ring my sponsor uh, or a friend in AA and I recall the many sayings we learn like, hey, it's just one day at a time, easy does it, keep it simple, it's progress, not perfection and first things first. One drink is too many, and 100 is never enough. That one I always remember. And the other one that is really important is just don't pick up that first drink. Because I don't know about you, but for me, the first drink meant there were hundreds to follow. And I didn't know when to stop. I was always the last one at the party, the last one to go home. And actually, even when I did go home... I would continue and have parties with myself at home. Turn on the music, or if I'd say to people, let's go back to my place. There's just so many things that I never realised were, well, they were signs of alcoholism. I thought everybody drank like me, except the odd ones that would have one glass in front of them and the whole time over dinner. What was that about? But actually, that's actually normal drinking. Uh, The way I drank, where I decided, oh, look, you know, I'm going out for dinner. How many bottles of wine can I have? That's not normal. Then one thing I do tend to say to myself, one of the tools is when anything is really tough, is that I say the serenity prayer. 
We actually open and close every meeting with the serenity prayer and I use it if I need to stop, assess what's going on and move forward rather than falling into that moment of desperation, frustration, feeling overwhelmed. So I think I'll do one now before we carry on, followed by the AA preamble, which gives an outline of what AA is all about. Join me if you feel like it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Isn't that funny? I'm sitting here in the studios with my eyes closed saying that because I always stand in a meeting with my eyes closed. Oh, how you take the things with you. I'll read our preamble for you next. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So we read that at the beginning of every meeting. Now, I just want to let you know that any opinions from myself or any guests that I have on the show this evening, they are just their opinions. They are not necessarily that of AA as a whole. We uh, may do things along the lines of the AA program, but we are not here representing individuals in the program. We're just us. All right, I'm going to read our uh, daily reflection for today. It is the 1st of November. I still, I'm I'm a little bit shaky over that, folks, but I'm going to read this out. 1st of November, here we go. This is our daily reflection. This is something that we read at the beginning of every day when we hand our will over to our higher power. And it just helps give us a little bit of direction, something to think about in the day. So... I cannot change the wind. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. That's from Alcoholics Anonymous book, page 85. My first sponsor told me there were two things to say about prayer and meditation. First, I had to start, and second, I had to continue. When I came to AA, my spiritual life was bankrupt. If I considered God at all, he was to be called upon only when my self-will was incapable of a task or when overwhelming fears had eroded my ego. Today, I am grateful for a new life, one in which my prayers are those of thanksgiving. My prayer time is more for listening than for talking. I know today that if I cannot change the wind... I can adjust my sail. I know the difference between superstition and spirituality. I know there is a graceful way of being right and many ways to be wrong. That's a lovely reading. I like that one. So you are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. 
Now that reading just then, one of the things it talked about is spirituality. And the spirituality in our program is not based on, we're not affiliated with any churches as such. We have a lot of our meetings in churches, uh, but that's in the back rooms of them, I must say. Uh, and that makes me think instantly about how when it comes to your first meeting, you're standing there on the road trying to ensure nobody sees you going in. <laughs> I mean, really, you're just going into a meeting in a church, and a lot of people hold meetings in churches. It uh, doesn't necessarily they know what you're going to. You're just a person walking into a building. So, you know, if you are thinking about coming along to your first AA meeting, please don't be scared. Just walk into the building. There's nothing on the front of the building with highlights and big neon signs saying, you're going to your AA meeting. It's just a building and you're a lucky individual who's going to walk into the doors of AA. Now we're going to start with a song today. I found a CD a friend had made me from 2017 and I put that on over the, over the weekend and uh, I thought, yes, gosh, I haven't heard this for ages. So I'm doing some random songs, just picking numbers. So enjoy this first song. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be, you know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high And if you want to live low, live low Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are You can do what you want The opportunity's on And if you find a new way You can do it today you can make it all true And you can make it undo You see Ah, it's easy Ah, you only need to know Well, if you want to say yes, say yes And if you want to say no, say no Cause there's a million ways to go Know that there are And if you want to be me, be me And if you want to be you, be you Cause there's a million things to do You know that there are You can do what you want The opportunity's on And if you find a new way you can do it today You can make it all true And you can make it undo You see Ah, it's easy Ah, you only need to know Well, if you want to sing out, sing out And if you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be You know that there are You know that there are You know that there are You know that there are
Oh, I hope that got you going. That was good. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Gosh. Okay, I'm going to go back to a previous interview this evening, one that we had just over a year ago that I think is, well, I really enjoyed it. So I hope you enjoy it too. Her name is Evelyn. She was very honest with me. And uh, please enjoy what she's got to say. Thanks, folks. Hello, folks. I am sitting in my vehicle with Evelyn today who is going to uh, kindly share her story with us. I love listening to this woman talk at meetings so I'm looking forward to this interview and uh, being able to hear her story a bit more. So need I say more? Hello. Hi. Kia ora, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very good. She's a little <laughs> nervous, folks, but let's get into this. So tell me, Evelyn, how was your introduction to alcohol? What was your introduction to it? Um, well, growing up, it was always around. You know, I remember my father always, always drinking. My mother went through a, a period when I was um, at primary school where I remember her drinking quite heavily. When um like I remember my um my grandmother when I was like three or four, maybe started when I was three or four, she'd make me um these uh, drinks called pink ladies, so it's like lemonade with a little bit of with a dash of port to make it go pink. So I was introduced to alcohol. A dash, sorry, a dash of port, not yeah. not a little bit of raspberry cordial. No <laughs> I love it. No, a dash of port. Yeah. So the, the the introduction to alcohol at a young age. But I mean sensibly you know, but it wasn't very sensible the first time that I was actually given alcohol to drink liber liberally. My brother came home from the pub. I, actually, I think he might have been babysitting us, actually, and he's five years older than me. And um, yeah, he came home from the pub and he threw a four pack of these Russian vodka RTD, really large cans, the premixer ones. Right. Yeah, he gave me four of those. And he was just like, you're not going to bed till you finish them. Um, I remember... How not, old were you? I was 11. Yeah, I, I remember not really enjoying it very much. Yeah. And I remember going to school the next day feeling horrid and going to the sick bay and sleeping all day. Just because I said to them, I just don't feel well. Yeah, and maybe a year or two later... Um, I got my boy, my, sorry, my, my brother's girlfriend to buy me a six pack of cruisers. They were the, the pink ones. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I drank all, all six of those in very quick succession and was very sick. And my mother was not impressed with my brother or his girlfriend. So yeah, that, that was my introduction to alcohol was getting it and drinking to excess right from the start. And so did you continue drinking from that stage? Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't really, like, you know, source it out all the time. But when I knew that I was going to be drinking, I would make sure that it was to excess. Uh, a friend and I, I think I was like maybe 14, a friend and I um, snuck out at night and she had grabbed a bottle of wine from her parents. It was the first time me trying wine and it was just a... Just a normal white still wine and it tasted disgusting like it was actually foul I remember like 
trying it for the first time and I was just like just yeah just got it in me and um blacked out that night that was probably like my fourth or fifth time drinking right yeah so like most of us I don't well I shouldn't say like most of us myself personally I wasn't an everyday drinker straight away is that something that built for you yeah absolutely um I was not a no, by, by no means an everyday drinker. Definitely what you would just class as a binge drinker. Right. Which is why I never thought, you know, that I was an alcoholic right up until the very end. I just, I thought I was a binge drinker. And that's okay because that's very um, uh, socially acceptable in New Zealand. Yeah. Did you feel a peer pressure for drinking? Uh, no. Not at all. No. Just something that you, when you you hit your, we call it rock bottom. Yeah. Were you uh, somebody who felt that alcohol was necessary every day in your life, or were you still binge drinking? Um. So I came into AA off the back of a ten day bender, and I um I was at the point where I was trying to hold down a job. I was trying to fulfill family and social commitments, but every night for like, for like 10 days, I drank to excessive blackout. And I couldn't control myself. I would say to myself, you know, three days in, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. Someone, you know, like we went out for dinner, so I decided to buy a, um, a jug of cider to share at the the table with everyone which led to me drinking that jug of cider and then drinking another jug of cider and then going past the bottle store on the way home you know so it's like um all these situations engineered themselves to have alcohol in them yes we yeah uh, well yeah I, I used to tend to do that too it was uh, I would work I mean I worked within the industry mm. Uh, to help that did you ever find yourself going and, and oh, changing your lifestyle to be able to fit that all into your lifestyle oh, so to speak definitely hospitality worker background uh. so it was inevitable like I used to work behind the bar so I could drink for free you know like that's what it was and then in hospi true hospitality um, style we would have a big night at the end of it yeah. and uh, with hospitality it sets you up quite poorly for being able to binge drink any day of the week because you don't know when your days off are. So you might have a Tuesday off, so you have a big night on the Monday, but you're still going to have a big night on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday because that's what everyone else is doing who works their Monday to Friday 9 to 5. Yeah, that's true. You get to tend to get, get caught up in that little circle, isn't it? When, um, and did you find yourself, or what, what, what was your journey to finding your rock bottom? Um, I was, there was an, an accident and, um, I ended up being told that I couldn't work and so I could drink as much as I wanted to. So I would always use, um, work, my fitness, um, you know, just, I would use anything as an excuse to try and control my drinking. Like I deliberately nominate myself to be the sober driver so that I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, only have to have like a couple of drinks in the situation, you know. So I'd, I'd rather not drink at all 
then have to try and only drink a certain amount. See, binge drinking, I always wanted to drink to excess. I always wanted to get that, that blackout, that oblivion. So I would, um, you know, go through spells of where I'd really focus on my fitness for six months or I would use, you know, being in a relationship as an excuse or studying was a really good one as well because I'm useless on a hangover to do anything, especially study. So I use those things as a control mechanism and then when you take away that control mechanism, I could just drink as much as I wanted, whenever I wanted. I mean, like, obviously if I had, had the money and stuff like that. But yeah, things went downhill very rapidly over nine months to the point where I'd wake up and start drinking and I never thought that I would do that. But I, I justified it and, you know, was in denial to myself about being an alcoholic because I was like, I'm too young. You know, I'm not homeless, I don't drink out of a paper bag, I don't have meth, you know, I, d I don't drink meths. Um, but the point is, is that I couldn't get through a day without having alcohol in my system at the end. Yeah. Do you see that as, do you see alcoholism as a family disease? It is on both sides of my family, mm. yes. Mm. Yeah. So do you ever look at it and say to yourself, well, that was inevitable? Did you ever think it would get you? <laughs> I honestly, no, I was in denial because I wasn't the same as those who are related to me. You know, I always thought that I was different to them, hmm. you know, um, mostly because, you know, uh, all the um, drinkers in my family are all males. Right. So I thought maybe because I'm a female, I'm immune to that. And I hadn't had the same life experiences that they would have. You know, because some of it, oh, I don't really No, it's interesting when you think <clears throat> that my, where I was going with that was that we see people who are alcoholics in our family. I, I My family has, has got a history of it as well. Mine also were all males. And I never thought, ah, you know, uh, that, that's not going to be me. But also, you go through a stage where you're not drinking the same as them, so you don't think that you are. Yeah. But there are so many different um, ways of drinking and being an alcoholic. Like mm. you said, it's not the brown paper bag. No. It's, uh, it's, um, it's binge drinking. It's getting up every day. It's maybe five o'clock. You're counting down till five o'clock. Mm. Oh, I want, I yeah. want, I want. I think that the biggest thing is, is that I knew that I had a problem with alcohol when... I couldn't only have one drink. Yes. You know, like I would deliberately not drink so that I didn't have to sit with that uncomfortable feeling of knowing that I could only have two drinks out at dinner and then I had to drive home. You know, I, I'd rather be that screaming banshee at the end of the table who's made a complete <laughs> and utter idiot of themselves because they've drank two bottles of wine at the BYO than only having a glass of wine. Oh, God, that sounds horrible, only having a glass of wine. Well, I, look, I still, even um, through my recovery, I still see things in movies and stuff where I see uh, somebody puts, a character might put the half glass of wine down and, and I watch how they mm. drink in the movie store and I think, oh, that's just mad, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. drinking was always to excess. Yeah. It, it did not 
matter even if I wanted to not yeah. drink to excess. It is that craving. It's the insanity of that craving, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it comes at us like a, like a steam train. Yeah, and also like the, the obsession of um, when am I going to drink next? How much am I going to drink? It, to, to, honestly, it was less about that the event of drinking. It was more about what I was going to drink. You know, and how much I was going to drink. It, yeah, and that's very selfish because it, it becomes less about, you know, the, the, the event that you're going to be going to. And it just, to, to a point where you don't want to go to events, you just want to drink at home by yourself. Yeah, it becomes quite isolating, doesn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, financially restraining, mm-hmm. isolating from yeah. humans. Yeah, it's not, not uh, that's not a pretty journey at all. I certainly um, was a very lonely person um, by the time I walked into the rooms. But yeah, I find that interesting how you've identified it wasn't about the social event that you went to. Mm. It wasn't about catching up with the people. Mm. It was actually noticing that it was how can I get the money, what am I going to have, how much am I going to have, and just fulfilling that need. Mm. Mm-hmm. rather than the wonderful social occasion yeah. of catching oh, up with the people. Absolutely, because if you think about it, like I've already said that I would use, you know, like my work or or study as a control mechanism. Mm. So then there would be like this anticipation for myself where I haven't been able to drink to excess for a couple of weeks. So there's also that anticipation that that build up. So yeah, which just compounds everything as well. Yeah, so it's an amazing journey. Um, to get to Mm. and I think uh, one of the amazing things is recognizing it so I admire the fact that you even recognized it Um, for those that don't know Evelyn is is not uh, an older soul like myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, she has managed to find this and learn this about herself at at a a, well I wish I had learned it at your age I guess what, what happened is I, um, the, the day I ended up going to AA, I woke up and it was um, exactly one month before my 30th birthday. Right. And I, I woke up that morning, still pissed, looked in the mirror, and I remember thinking to myself, if you don't do something soon, you're going to die. Because I, I was actively suicidal at the time. Like I'd said to you, like I'd just come off the, the back of a 10-day bender. Um, like life wasn't good. I was essentially homeless and I was living in a city where I knew no one. And I had systematically isolated myself from friends and family. So, yeah, you, you don't end up in AA because you get too pissed and fall over at a party once. You, you end up. Um, there when you hit a, a rock bottom and mine was a, an, an emotional um, very very emotionally hard rock bottom and we're going to take we're going to take a break from that there and we're going to play you another song from the CD of my friend that she made me in 2017 enjoy this tune
While you were listening to Evelyn's story there, I was checking out a few of the AA acronyms that we have, and I found a few I'd like to share with you. We've got HIT, H-I-T. It stands for hang in there. The road to recovery is a bumpy one. Sometimes we need a good reminder that there are better times ahead. And that's one of those times to just stop and reflect. I suppose one what we were talking about earlier. HALT is another one, that's H-A-L-T, and they all stand for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this can happen for anybody, whether you're an alcoholic or not. But these refer to the common triggers involved in a relapse for us alcoholics. When temptation strikes, make sure you're putting your mind and body in check. Are you hungry? Are you angry at something? Getting angry for no good reason. You're feeling lonely. Give someone a call. Do you need to just rest? One of the things I've really learned through my recovery is that it's okay to rest. Take a stop. Take a breath. Listen to the birds. Listen to the sounds around you. T. 
take a moment. The other one is uh, that I found SLIP, S-L-I-P, which is sobriety losing its priority. When menial tasks take precedence over sobriety, this can challenge the recovery process. And when I saw that one, it made me think about how sometimes I get into the role of the day. I'll wake up, I'll be getting ready for school, work, I'll be getting lunches made, I'll be rushing around, making sure the washing's on so I can hang it out later in the day when I get home, getting the food out of the freezer for the ready for dinner. There's so many things that your brain is working for, going, oh, yes, I've got to do that, and I've got that meeting, and I've got to be at this client's, and I've got to do this. And I sometimes forget to hand my will over. And that, to me, is when I have a slip. It's not when I pick up. It just means that I'm not doing the things I should be doing, which is handing my will over, taking those moments, remembering to be thankful for what I have in my life today. I have a life today that I I didn't think I could have. So, yeah, I'm in incredibly blessed and grateful for everything that AA program has given me and uh, yeah I have to stop sometimes and take a look at that especially when my day is just getting a little bit ahead of me (laughs) I gotta do that stop because otherwise it's a little bit nuts right we're going to get back to Evelyn's story we got a part two on this one so enjoy that well Evelyn so you hit your rock bottom now Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, you know, your journey of recovery? How's that been? What's it, what, what have you learned about yourself? Where are you going? So when I, when I first approached AA, I had set myself a really low bar in recovery. I mean, I just wanted to not kill myself. Yes. Like you, you get to that very dark, very low place. And um, to me, like, it's almost as if the light at the end of the tunnel was almost extinguished, like... The light at the end of the tunnel looked like a star in the sky, you know, that that's how that small, small it was. Yeah. Mm. And what I found when I when I um came into the rooms of AA is um I found hope again because I had lost hope and that's really scary to to lose hope. Um yeah, and things got different before they got better. I didn't put down the drink and my life magically transform itself and I become this really well socially adjusted person <laughs> I'm very good at looking like I have where you do know, you find those to... where do you find those people <laughs> I, I think they're a lie personally <laughs> but you know I, I was always very because of working in hospitality you have to be very um you know like put on a facade of like oh hey how's it going you know to the customers so so I was very good at appearing like I had my life together when inside it's all chaos. I so recognise that when you say, you said that to me a little while ago and I recognised it immediately because I too was in hospitality for mm. you know, a couple of decades and it was normal to act happy and cheery and be there for others and help them because mm. you know, that's what hospitality service was all about. Yeah, so when you did hit your rock bottom tell me did you find that you were you've come into AA Mm. how did you find sharing it with friends and family that you discovered you're an alcoholic you've admitted you're an alcoholic you've got a disease 
you're not well did you find that you people came out of the woodwork that you didn't think would be accepting did you find it or did you feel like you were still lonely or alone I think as as an alcoholic our disposition is to feel lonely and alone mm. until we in, until we make that connection with a higher power um, but yeah I didn't actually tell my family or friends until I had about three months of sobriety up and how did you navigate that I just didn't did you I'd, I'd, stay I'd, away? Or no, I don't, I'd you... systematically isolated myself from my family. Right. So they didn't really know what I was up to. Like, they knew that I lived in a different city from them. They knew that I had a job, but they didn't really know anything else because I... Well, I you didn't just, want them to. No, no. And I just <laughs> have emotionally distanced myself from my family for a long time ever as a survival and protective mechanism for myself, just with my upbringing. Mm. And, you know, that is what it is. But, you know... so recovery has given me the opportunity to really um to rebuild some of those bridges that I tried to burn but also to like strengthen my own resolve and have more open and honest relationships with family members which has been great well honesty is one of the major things we learn isn't it uh, yes definitely because <laughs> I was definitely in denial about a lot of stuff when I um came into um the rooms of AA mm. Yeah, it's uh, been one of my biggest things too, and, and it's and it's an everyday and occur occurrence for me mm. now. It's something I relish and respect about myself. Yeah, and I, I guess the reason I waited so long to tell my family is because I wanted to make sure that I could actually do it and keep it, that I could actually stay sober, and just knowing that hey, look, if I've got three almost four months up, whether they um are welcoming about it and supportive or kind of just push it to the side like is done so many times in my family with things just knowing that I have that resolve to mm. still carry on in sobriety because I mean I, I came into the rooms for myself I didn't have I didn't have a spouse I don't have children you know I didn't have a mortgage um, I wasn't in a, in a place of career, that's for sure, you know, so I, def I came in to the rooms to save my own life and there was, n there was nothing else, um, I guess, kind of influencing that. Pressuring was, you? Yeah, 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 because, you know, um, you hear in the rooms stories of people come in to save their marriage or to save their jobs and I just sit there and go, wow, I came in to, because I, I, I chose to live. Yes. Yeah, and, and I wanted to live and I, what I was doing wasn't working and you know I'd, I'd already tried um, you know different spirituality groups and I'd tried yoga and I'd tried you know diet lifestyle relationships education I tried all these different things to you know to, to prove I'm not an alcoholic or to control my drinking and so none of those worked no this has worked for you when I was mentioning earlier the family and friends, how was their reaction? Have you um, found that you have built new friendships, or and or have you been able to maintain the old ones you had? Or um, the friends that I have, my perspective on you know the how I view friendship has 
shifted because when you're drinking you kind of just want to be around people who drink like you and have the same mentality as you to enable you to have that behavior um whereas now i'm more likely to actually want to go to a family event to spend time with my family you know you'd said that to me three years ago i would have i would have laughed in your face you know yeah. sort of been like there's no way i'm going to go to that um so yeah it's i've definitely learned how to have you know healthy relationships within my family unit and with you know friendships as well yeah it's quite a yeah well and that's through learning about yourself admitting yeah. things about yourself finding yeah. your personal defects i suppose is it? yeah yeah the, um yeah and that's what we learn in the steps i guess mm. you know um definitely doing that that fearless and moral inventory um i wasn't scared about doing that so for people who who don't know your step four is when you write a an inventory of yourself of your your, your defects of character and contributing factors and resentments that you have and um how does well when you talk, you just mentioned something there that I'd like to sort of sidetrack onto yeah. is the um, resentments. Did you find yourself once you worked through those resentments that life has got lighter? Or, oh, definitely, definitely. And realizing that resentments was a lot of why you drank as well. Did you find that? Uh, it was a good excuse. Yes, definitely. excuse is a good word. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So I used, you know. Yeah, resentments as an excuse yes, to drink. To and, drink. And that caused a lot of denial within myself because it's really not that important, you know, like what other people think of you and if someone said the wrong thing to you or if you got caught, cut off in traffic and I'd use all those things <laughs> as resentments or if you had the childhood I had or if you had the parents <laughs> I had, you know, if you had the siblings I had. And it's just like at the end of the day... Um, I, I learned how to take personal responsibility for myself and to be the own um, the own director uh, of your life. Yeah, and just be in control of my form, you know, of my life. And actually, I am the one who is in charge of my happiness. Mm. So the you know, if I do things which are really wholesome, they're going to lead to a more happy and fulfilling life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so your family relationships are obviously mm. something you really respect and, and have a lot better now yeah i mean and a, a lot of that has just count, come down to acceptance you know you, you learn in the program that um if you have a disturbance with someone or something or some situation then you need to look at acceptance around that and for myself it was just accepting that you know um my parents did the best they could with what they had and yeah i mean when you're when you're a um teenager that's a really good excuse to, yes. to, to act out and be and you know as resentments but as you get older it's not not so much and I guess that's what people don't understand about alcoholics is that when we start drinking we you know that's the age that we start to stunt our emotional growth which is why we act like teenagers with our resentments towards people. Really nice yeah. point you've risen there, again, because they do, and it's one thing we do say is when you started drinking, that's sort of when you stopped your emotional growth. Oh, absolutely, definitely. I mean, I might look 
like an an adult woman but inside sometimes I do have the reaction of a 16 year old (laughs) and I'm coming to terms with that and that's okay and it's getting better you know because I'm pretty sure when I came into the rooms I was a 12 like I had the emotional ability of a 12 year old yeah right and that's through no moral failing of you know my my parents it's the nature of the disease of alcoholism yes and that's the thing that a lot of people I think don't understand is that it's a disease left untreated it will kill it, it will kill it will yeah. run rampant and it will kill yeah yes because it, it is it is designed yeah that's but yeah it's designed to do that i mean that's what it is it's yeah. it's the devil um, <laughs> so tell me how is life now with your recovery you, you I, how do you look at it i have a the life beyond my wildest dreams you know i um i am now starting at, in in in, a, in the field which will give me a career mm-hmm. you know um i have just a monday to friday job which is incredible because coming from hospitality i worked you know three jobs all different shifts i'd be lucky if i had one full day off <laughs> you know and but again and money in your pocket yeah and never that yeah. <laughs> again i engineered that you know to be like that and being able to have you know, a salary income is just incredible. Yes. Having stability is is incredible. Having a deeper understanding of myself, thanks to um, yeah, recovery and the twelve steps. It's um, yeah, life. It's it's uh, um, inconceivable. Yes. Like just the the, the different how bad it was. It just blows me away. You know, the the life that I have today. I'm so glad for that too, though, because you come to meetings. I, I'm lucky enough to come to the odd meeting with Evelyn, and it's I get real enlightenment from you when you share. <laughs> you may not know Thanks, that, and it's no, uh, no it's uh, it's uh, everybody looks at life differently, folks. You're all yeah. sitting out there tonight. You're listening on the radio, and you're thinking, oh, you know, are you looking at the similarities with Evelyn's story or are you looking at the differences? And one of the things that we find a lot when we come into the rooms is that we look at the differences and it's not until we look at the similarities that we start doing the work on ourselves. Oh, absolutely. I remember I went to my first convention and this gentleman got up, he would have been mid-50s, and his sharing, he had a very different life to me. But his sharing and just the, the, the things that he, you know, just the, the way that he um, looked at life and the experiences that he had, I could relate to on, you know, emotional levels. Mm. And that, that was incredible. I went up to him afterwards and said, thank you so much for sharing that because that's how I felt. He said part of his story was is that he worked at a gas station. He'd sit there, you know, and watch these people drive past and they would look happy and like they had their life together and he just didn't understand that he couldn't relate he thought that it was a facade you know and he explained so much of how I was feeling in such simple terms it was incredible so you're going to keep living this life oh absolutely nothing can drag me away I love it it's it's it's, it's, why why change something which has given me so much Yes, you so know, much, yeah. like I, I go to meetings because um, I need my medicine, you know, it's three hours a week and I get to I get to share the, the crazy stuff that my head can think sometimes I get to listen to other people who have come before me and are still sober, 
yeah and I get to listen to that experience strength and hope and I know that if I share in a meeting what's going on with me when it comes to the disease of alcoholism you know maybe there is someone in that room or knows someone who can help me if I if, if I need help with a specific topic and that that gives me a lot of hope yeah well hope was how we started out this conversation that is what you were mm -hmm. looking for yeah. you'd lost it mm -hmm. you had none the black hole the yeah. tiny little dot yeah. and I'm so glad you took this journey I'm so thank glad you, you walked into that room because you're a wonderful person to know oh. and I just want to say thank you very much for coming and chatting with me thank you for having me and sharing your story it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure thank you so much thanks <laughs> cheers you are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. If you're listening online tonight, jump on the ORFM website, find our podcast, you'll see some of the previous ones that we've done. Just a little bit of homework things, a little bit of housekeeping I should say. There are no membership fees to join AA, okay? All you need is a want or even a curiosity on, on giving up drinking or, or giving yourself a wee check. How is your drinking going? What are you doing? Or perhaps it's being in that place of pure desperation where you know you need to give up. That's how I came into the rooms. It was pure desperation. I thought I was going crazy. Come on in, sit in a meeting, have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee and start the journey. Listen to the similarities of what people are saying in the rooms, not the differences. I'd just like to let you know that in Otago, ourselves in Dunedin, we have 14 meetings a week. We've got lunchtime meetings, evening meetings and some Zoom meetings. If you jump on the website AA org.nz you'll find all the meetings listed across the whole of New Zealand showing the times and places so there are zoom meetings on there as well the details are there if you'd like to have the preference of uh, the privacy of your own home and if you need to reach out for help please do not hesitate to call us on the 0800 AA works line that's 0800 229 67 this phone line is operated by us, alcoholics. We're there for other alcoholics, so please give us a call. We can help. We can at least maybe get you to a meeting, or we can listen to what you've got to say. As I said earlier, we um, have a web address, uh, dub, dub, dub. Oh, we've got the Otago one, aa.otago.nz. As I said, that one will give everything that's happening in the southern area of New Zealand and if you'd like to get on the website for the whole of AA it's aa.org.nz it's been an absolute pleasure being with you folks this evening we're going to finish with a song thank you so much for spending the evening with me and thank you to our show producers Spencer much appreciate all your help there take care of yourselves out there folks matiwa everyone until next time enjoy the song
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.